Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. You know, that's a lesson we still need as a church. I think too many times the church today, we have this deal of, well, there's the, the pastors, then there's the leaders, or the elders, then there's the ministry leaders, and then, then there's all the people. You know, actually, that's an upside-down thing. What it really needs to be is the pastors serving, the elders serving, the leaders serving, the people serving the kingdom of God. And that's how it needs to be. That's what it's called to be. That's what you and I are called to be, servants. Yeah, one to another. But we are servants to the Lord in this community. In his message today, Pastor David will share with you the story of Jesus serving his disciples. This story serves to show that even those high in authority should be serving those below them. There should be no hierarchy in serving in the church. In a church, it shouldn't be that the congregation only serves their pastor and the church staff but that their pastor and church staff should serve them also. Then from there, all can work together for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Pastor David will also remind you that serving as a church community is the responsibility of the church. Now here's Pastor David as he continues his message, a synopsis of the Gospels. The other gospel writers, again, bringing in different accounts, but John here is written with the heart of a pastor, a teacher, and an evangelist. Uh, His clear, his very stated purpose, none, none of the other writers really give this, not even Luke as he's writing to Theophilus. It's only John that gives this direction. We looked at it earlier in John chapter 20, verse 30. John says, these things are written. I've written this gospel. These things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. John, more so than any other writers, even in his epistles, he writes that, if I write these things, to you who believe that you might know that you have eternal life. Again, John with that heart of a pastor, that heart of encouragement, that teacher, but that heart of evangelist. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what are called synoptic gospels. You can lay them pretty much alongside of each other, all three of them, and shifting some of the events and into different places, you can see pretty much they have pretty much all the same exact event. John is not a synoptic gospel. Uh, John is totally different than the others. He brings out events in Jesus' life that the others did not list, 
and he lists, uh, and, and he doesn't list some that the others do list. There's some that he coordinates with, but John is a separate gospel in and of itself. More so than any of the other gospel writers, John brings about the reality of the divinity of Jesus Christ. And that's done through uh, specific events and, and teachings of Jesus, both to his disciples as well as to the multitudes, and, and in particular to the statements that are made to the Jewish leaders. We see in John's account more so than any of the others. In fact, instead of the others, we see in John's account what's called the seven great I am statements. And if you'll recall, that I am statement brings us all the way back to the book of Exodus. There when Moses is asking the Lord, who shall I say sent me? Tell them I am sent you. And so when we see in John's account these I am's, It's a direct reference that he is, again, connecting himself with God the Father. You don't need to turn to all of them. If you want to list them, you certainly can. The first one is, I am the bread of life. And in chapter 6, he says that three different times. Chapter 6, verse 35, verse 48, and verse 51. I am the bread of life. He also declared that I am the light of the world. That's chapter 8, verse 12, and chapter 9, verse 5. He says, I am the door of the sheep. Chapter 10, verses 7 and 9. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Chapter 11, verse 25. And then he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Verse 14, or chapter 14, verse 6. And then in that upper room discourse, chapter 15, verse 1, he says, I am the true vine. It's in John's record where the clearest charge for his execution comes from the Jewish leadership because Jesus claimed to be divine. Look with me, if you would, in John chapter 10 and jump down to verse 27. Jesus is out. He's there at the temple. He's in the area of Solomon's porch. And again, the the Jews surrounding him and they're they're continually questioning him and and pressing him. And in verse, get down to verse 27. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life. Now, that's a powerful statement for just a man to say. That's a powerful statement for a prophet to say. That's a statement that only God can say. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Now, if you're a Pharisee and you're listening to this, your ears have perked up. This guy just says that he gives them eternal life. You're paying attention now. Who is this guy that's saying this? We're gonna catch him for blasphemy. He goes on, verse 29. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. And then he says in verse 30, I 
and my father are one. Now, guys, at that point in time, the Jewish leaders popped a cork, okay? They, they were just totally beside themselves. Verse 31 says, the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Because again, he is very clear in his statements. And, and I hear people every once in a while, well, Jesus never said that he was God. Well, you've never read the gospel accounts because Jesus said on multiple occasions in a variety of ways that he is God. They took up stones to stone him. Verse 32, and Jesus answered them. He says, many good works I've shown you from my father. For which of these works do you stone me? And the Jews answered him saying, for a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you, being a man, make yourself God. Now, the interesting situation with with, with all of that, when you get down to the end of it, Jesus answered them. He says, is it not written in your law? I said, you are God's. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, the scripture cannot be broken. Do you say of him whom the father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the son of God. If I do not do the works of my father, uh, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the father is in me and I in him. Therefore, they sought again to seize him, but he escaped out of their hands. That was, to the Jews, that was absolute and total blasphemy. And for them, for a man to declare, I am God, was a stoning offense. But again, God protected him because his time was not then. It was not prophesied that Jesus would die by stoning. It was prophesied that he would die on the tree, on the cross. It's in John's account where we have literally the the most intimate of all meetings that Jesus has with his disciples. And that's there in the upper room, what's called the upper room discourse. And we, we find that in John chapter 15, 16, and 17. It's here in the upper room where the divine one teaches his closest followers all about humility, all about servanthood. If I, being your master, wash your feet, Shouldn't you wash each other's feet? You know, that's a lesson we still need as a church. I think too many times the church today, we have this deal of, well, there's the the pastors, then there's the leaders or the elders, then there's the ministry leaders, and then then there's all the people. You know, actually, that's an upside-down thing. What it really needs to be is the pastors serving, the elders serving, the leaders serving, the people serving the kingdom of God. And that's how it needs to be. That's what it's called to be. That's what you and I are called to be, servants. Yeah, one to another. But we are servants to the Lord in this community. And not a one of us is above the other. I know that people have a hard time just calling me David. Pastoring is what my call is. It's not my name. My name is David, just like it's Dean or Ellen or any others. Yeah, I know in respect, people say, yeah, but man, I just can't call you anything. You're pastor today. You know what? I read this, and uh, so often I see the names of uh, Paul or Peter. and some of these. They just call him by name. 
He comes to Peter and he comes to Paul. He comes to Luke. He just calls them by name. He doesn't say Saint uh, Luke or Saint so-and-so. Just calls them by name. That's who we are. We are one in Christ. We are all part of the body. Each one of us has a different portion and part within that body. Uh, as much as I need and use my mouth, I don't call my mouth Saint Mouth, okay? It, it's just my mouth. And so that's a sidebar. That wasn't even in the notes. So uh, it was in that upper room that Jesus was showing, again, as, as, as great as he was, he was serving those men. Again, even the one that's going to betray him, he washed Judas's feet. Here in the upper room, the foolishness of, of pride of Simon uh, comes out. Oh, Lord, though they all deny you, I'll never deny you. Lord, I'll, I'll go to the death for you. There in the upper room as Jesus literally poured out his heart to these men about what's about to take place. And they still don't have, they, they, they still don't have a clue that he's going to be crucified in just a number of hours as Jesus pours out his heart over and over. Jesus speaking after Judas had left, Jesus speaking to the 11. Now he promises them there in that upper room. He says, I'm going to send you the helper, the spirit of truth, the coming of the Holy Spirit. We talked about that Sunday. We'll be talking about it again this coming Sunday, that work and that ministry of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I have to leave in order that he comes. Turn with me, if you would, in John to chapter 15. My very first sermon ever. I, don't, I have no idea how old I was. I don't even remember where it was at this point in time, but I remember it was my very first sermon. I wasn't a pastor. I was just uh, part, of the, part of a fellowship, and they said, hey, we're going to have you do the message uh, Sunday night or Wednesday night or something, and trembling with great uh, fear and trepidation, John chapter 15, uh, those first five verses, I, I remember to this day was my message. I think I uh, covered all of about 10 minutes, but uh, I know that's hard for you guys to believe now. But then uh, uh, John chapter 15, they're there in the upper room and Jesus sharing with his men there. He says, I'm the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. And he zeroes in, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing, nothing. Beloved, that is why it's so important for you and I to make sure that we are abiding in the Lord. You say, well, pastor, I, I, I received Jesus like uh, 20 years ago. I'm abiding in him. Now, there's, there's a difference in what Jesus is speaking here uh, in, in, in that abiding. That is in that closeness and, and, and in that walk. If we are broken in fellowship, we're not going to bear fruit. If we are walking in rebellion and, and disconnect from the Spirit of God within our life and, and, the, and the purpose and the plan of God in our life, we're not going to bear fruit. Or if we do, it's going to be rotten fruit. 
as I shared with the men a few weeks ago, too often Christians walk around with artificial fruit on them because they're not bearing fruit on their own. And so they put on this pretense, put on the smile, they put on the, the vocabulary. And yet really in their life, they're not bearing fruit. Jesus says, it's only when you abide in me. And if you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. He goes on, he teaches them there in the upper room about the greatness of sacrificial love. Look down in verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. And then down in verse 17. These things I suggest to you? No. These things I command you, that you love one another. Aren't you glad that that was just a command to the disciples 2,000 years ago and not to us? Amen? No, it's for us today. It's the command of Christ for us as his followers. And we love each other. That means we let the walls fall down. That means that we forgive. That means that we speak blessings and encouragements to each other rather than curses and rilings against each other. That means that we seek ways to demonstrate that love in a real and true way. It's in the upper room discourse there. Found in chapter 17 is what's called uh, the high priestly prayer of Christ. He prays first of all for himself. That's verses one through five. And then he prays for his disciples, those, because he knew that over the next few days, it's going to be really rough on these guys. And he knows the responsibility that he's sending out to them. So for his followers, in verses 6 through 19, he prays. But you know what? He prayed for you in that upper room. He prayed for you. Look with me, if you would, chapter 17. Go down to verse 20. He says, I don't pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. We, we come to a saving knowledge of Christ through understanding the word of God that's been given to us by those who are followers of Christ through their word. So Jesus was praying for you and I. We could insert our name uh, right there. I don't, I, don't, I don't pray for these guys only, but I'm also praying for David who's gonna believe in me through the words of Matthew and John. I'm, I'm praying also for, for Terry or, or, or Nancy or on and on we could go and, and list to understand that Jesus was praying. And, and when you think of the, the, the time frame, he's hours from being crucified and his heart is toward us. That just blows me away. He prays for the believers. And from there, in John's record, we find this really quick progression we go to Gethsemane and then to the courts. All that's in chapter 18. Then from the mocking of the soldiers uh, to the point of being hung on the cross and even buried. All that's in chapter 19. 
And then chapter 20 is the, 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 the resurrection. You find that there. And then in chapter 21, we see the restoration of Peter. Now, it's interesting. When you think about it, John actually puts more time into the restoration of Peter than he actually writes about the crucifixion of Christ. To me, when, when, when I saw that, when I, when I comprehended that, it just reminds me of, again, the greatness of his love. Yes, he died for my sin, but he also died for my sin, past, present, and tomorrow. He works a work of reconciliation, just as he did for Peter. You know, let, let's face it, if you and I were the judge and we, we, we understood all that was going on, Jesus was being crucified, Peter, one of his followers, he's being pushed, he's being tested. Are you one of his followers? No. Are, are you sure you're not one of his followers? No, no. Are you sure you certainly sound like one of his followers? And all of a sudden he begins cursing and swearing and, and leaves the room. Let's face it, you and I would chalk him up. That's it. You're, you're, you're not one of his followers anymore. You, you, you went the distance right there. You, 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 did not, you did not stand up for the Lord. But isn't it great that our God went to Peter specifically. He didn't wait for Peter to come back to him. He went to Peter specifically. And yeah, he said some hard things to Peter there on that shoreline as they were having breakfast. All the other disciples there, Peter, do you love me? Sure, Lord, I love you. And Peter, feed my sheep. Not sure I understand what you're saying. And again, he comes to him, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you, you, you know that I love you. Then feed my lambs. The third time Jesus came to him, he says, Peter, and in, in, in the Greek language, it is, Peter, do you even care about me? And that's when Peter's heart was broken and humbled before the Lord. Lord, you know all things. You see, more than anything, what the Lord wants in our lives is honesty, is honesty. Lord, I'm blowing it, and I know it. By your grace, you've saved me. By your mercy, work in me. Draw me close to you again. That's what I see in this reality that, man, here he spends all this time, this last chapter, John writing about the restoration of Peter. The greatness of of that love. And then, it's just his last words, John declares here at the very finish of his gospel. Chapter 21, verse 45, there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. I, I read that, I think also the passage that says, I hath not seen, ear hath not heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for us. You know, we can read this book over and over and over. We can become uh, astute students of the word of God. And we've only scratched the surface, only scratched the surface of who Jesus is and of the greatness of God and of all that he desires to lavish upon his children. Open up.
That's all we have time to share today, but we're so glad you've joined us. Isn't the Bible a fascinating book to read? There's incredible historical events, crazy scenarios, and a variety of people to keep you intrigued along the way. We hope you'll continue to join us here on The Open Word as Pastor David takes you through the Bible. If what you heard today sparked your interest and you'd like to know more about faith and even who God really is, please contact us. We'd love to talk more with you and share some even more incredible news about your future and the one who can change it, Jesus. Give us a call at 520-836-9676. Again, that's 520-836-9676. If social media is a part of your life, you can connect with us there too. Come like our Facebook page and keep up to date with what's happening at The Open Word and Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. You'll find a link to our website, theopenword.com. Would you like to hear more messages from this series? Here's Pastor David to tell you how. Thanks, Chris. You know, any time you spend in God's Word is valuable. And I'd like to encourage you to do it as often as possible. I know busy schedules can make that hard, but being able to listen to it could just change all that. All of the messages I've shared from the Bible here on The Open Word, they're available to you to listen to online at theopenword.com. Feel free to download them and even share them with anyone you think would benefit. That website again is theopenword.com. Thanks, Pastor David, and thank you for tuning in to The Open Word. Make us more and more.